I'm not just happy, I'm her pal. This is Power Up Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Gianna Lucas, co-founder and CEO at Hapow, the social enterprise that powers this podcast. We help you slay life in high school, uni and beyond. Each week on the show, you'll learn epic life skills in a super chill way. Hear from well-known legends as they reveal their biggest setbacks and milestones to date. And you'll find out what our Hapow squad think about a whole stack of topics too. From epic challenges to super raw moments, this show has it all. So let's power up life. Isn't it your lucky day? Because this week we're not dropping one, but two episodes with speaker, author, Aboriginal rights advocate and Tapau ambassador, Ma Lee Silver. With Ma Lee, what you see is what you get. She's super authentic and kind. When it comes to Aboriginal culture and history, Ma Lee is like a well-resourced library. She's incredibly knowledgeable. So I decided to take full advantage of this and asked Marley a stack of questions because to be totally honest, there was a lot I didn't know about Indigenous culture and history. And so I wanted to educate myself and others who too wanted to learn more. She was so gracious and respectful of my questions and her answers and perspective were so eye-opening and insightful. We spoke openly about some big issues that still exist today and I'm so grateful to have had this conversation with Marley. Fun fact, did you know Aboriginal history spans 80,000 years? Yep, this is exactly right and just one of the many facts Marley and I spoke about. Here's some of the other stuff we covered too. Aboriginal countries in Australia and Torres Strait Islands, skin names in Central Australia, Dreamtime, the meaning of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags, why Uluru means so much to Aboriginal people, the significance of the Southern Cross, the 2005 Cronulla riots, the link between racism and fear, and how far we've come as a society and our hopes for the future. Hope you get a lot out of this chat just like I did. So for the second time this week, let's once again power up life. I have such respect for you in the advocacy work that you do in the social platform that Titters for Titters is that you've built and are growing. I just think you're an exceptional young woman and your sister Keely, who uh, runs Titters for Titters with you, who's in her early 20s. Is she 22? I think I read. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you are her sister. So two, the two of you are very different, but you are both obviously from the same area. So you said you're a Camilla Roy and Dungati woman. So, yes. and I was explaining before we went on air that I'm from the Wurundjeri area in Melbourne. And I'd love to ask a question in the work that you've done and the advocacy you do. You've learned a lot about this stuff. And of course, of your dad being Aboriginal. Can you tell us, we've got states all around Australia, you know, New South Wales, ACT, Northern Territory, Tassie. How many areas are there of Aboriginal country 
in comparison to the states that we have? Is there a lot more areas that are Aboriginal in the sense that are they like considered like towns? Like how, how does that all work? So it, the easiest way to explain it is we really truly are a continent and there are over 250 Aboriginal countries. So we call them countries um, right. because if you look, if you Google a map of Aboriginal Australia or go onto IATSIS, which is our premier um, research kind of body mm-hmm. they have this beautiful map and it's interactive and you can go into it and you see all the borders and it looks like how Africa looks with all the different borders of the countries oh. but we have 250 um, and oh. some of them are quite little and as much as I know the countries of the major cities and a few other uh, mostly in New South Wales obviously because that's where I'm from there are so many that I you know I wouldn't be able to memorize them all and then you add on top of it the Torres Strait Islands as well there's so so much Every time you meet an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person, they will introduce themselves by their country or clan name. So that's why I say, my name's Marley Silva. I'm a Gamilaroi and Dungati woman. What I actually am saying is that my bloodlines come from those countries. So mm. traditionally, because my people are matriarchal, I first and foremost say that I'm a Gamilaroi woman because that's my grandmother's people. Um, oh. So you take that and you'll find a lot of people will just identify with the one group that comes from their female part of their bloodline. But I also acknowledge the blood ties that I have to Dungati country, which is through my grandfather. So this is so complex. Honestly, there's so many different variations of our identity and how we talk about it. People talk in like the central desert area. They have skin names, which is a whole other kettle of fish. Skin names? Um, Does that literally mean like shade of skin? Like, no, what no, is no, skin? no, no, no. No, I was going to say, I'm like, what is no, that? No, mean? no, no. <laughs> so skin names essentially kind of dictate how you're connected to everyone else in the group and the way that it was used, you know, it's obviously been around for 80,000 years and that's how you understand your role in a clan group. So there's still people who um, adhere by their skin names and there's instances where if you share a skin name with someone, you can't talk to them or you you can't marry them or you can't have anything to do with them in, in a lot in some cases. And then it also dictates who you can marry in the clan right. group. And then it also like creates weird things like this you know I've, I've met girls from that area whose uncle is a two-year-old boy and they're 35 but <laughs> wow. that's the way that those skin names kind of yeah. dictate family things it's very very complex and it's not part of where my people are from it's yes. like very much a central desert area yeah. sort of thing but it's like super complex there's so many different facets of it and that's something that people underestimate and misunderstand about our culture is that it's like a monoculture. That's why you know, I always get comments that I don't look Aboriginal or people talk about percentile and that sort of stuff and there's so many ignorant kind of wrong connotations that come with that because we can't be reduced to a skin colour. We can't be reduced to a certain way of life. Mm. In high school I had kids ask me about whether I believed in the dream time and they don't even understand what dreaming or the dream time is and yeah and, and this it's sort of stuff and on. it's barely touched on in school like I remember in high school I we we did study aboriginal history but not in depth it was very much top line sort of the and we did I remember we did look into dream time stories but I mean how could we possibly understand dream time in a class you know it's that when there's as you said 80,000 years of aboriginal history in Australia which is why I'm so excited to have you on the power up life show because this stuff I know you know me and my team were so interested in learning about but we also we want to educate other young people so we're better equipped with this knowledge so when we go and have conversations 
conversations with our mates, we can say, hey, did you know this? You know, so when things like the 26th of January pops up, we actually have a go, I understand this now, rather than going, oh, it's just a day of having fun with your friends and having a barbecue. It's it, There's so much more complexities to it. So it's really, really interesting that you say that. And I'd love to ask you as well, with the Aboriginal flag, which I love, by the way, I know that obviously for those, I'm sure we've all seen it because it's everywhere, but it's, there's black, there's yellow, and there's red. Now, can you tell us what each of the colours and sort of the symbols uh, mean on the Aboriginal flag? Yeah. So when it was put together, the three different colours meant or continue to mean three different things, the black being representative of the people, of Aboriginal people, the red being representative of the red dirt of the earth, of country, and then the sun, the yellow being the sun or the giver of life creator. So it, it kind of represents our collective being and it's, yeah, something that I take great pride in. And when you see it out and about, thankfully we live in an era where a lot of the time I work walk into offices all over the country and there will be a little plaque out the front that has the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags on it, kind of recognising the country that um, you're on, which is nice and it instantly just puts a bit of a, a an ease on top of you as yeah. you walk into particularly kind of quite foreign areas. Yeah. And the Torres Strait Islander flag, is that blue, white and green? Is that correct? Yeah, and there's a bit of black in there as well. Black. Yeah, so what does that one symbolise? Are you familiar with so, that flag as well? Yeah, so the black is the people again, the white, there's the white headdress, um, which is really significant cultural headwear that represents like the chiefs of the islands from my understanding and the leadership in the islands. And then there's the star in the middle, which is like the North Star. And then the blue and the green are the islands and the waters around it. That's beautiful. See, I, hearing you describe them, I just feel that they're, it's like a holistic approach to creating some kind of identity. You know, you're grabbing the both the physical, the spiritual and the almost like the emotional connection to to land and to humanity. It's mm. it's absolutely beautiful. Um, so thank you so much for telling me that. And, you know, I actually, goodness, I think it was in 2013, I went on a family holiday also with my partner and my parents to the Northern Territory. And we spent about a week, we flew into Alice Springs. So that's where we stayed. And then we went to Uluru, Katajuka, and we just spent time with elders and like we went on um, like a tour, a walking tour around Uluru. And I'll never forget, like I, I remember sitting back at sunset on a, on a chair just oh, quite a distance away from Uluru and watching that sunset and it was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life and I I just it was very spiritual as well for me and I just was so in awe of the beauty of this place and just and and the tranquility of Uluru and I know the, and learning about the meaning of what it is to Aboriginal people. I have so much respect for that. And even going through Katajuka, and for those who don't know, Katajuka, actually I probably should get you to describe Katajuka, but from me, I remember the beautiful rock formations. And unlike Uluru, you can walk through Katajuka. Can you tell us a little bit about the significance of Uluru, particularly to Aboriginal people? I think in a lot of ways it's positioned. I mean, I can only talk about me personally. Yeah, um, yeah, I, your, your feelings. It, yeah, it's kind of the spiritual centre of the country. It's, I, I unfortunately never been. You it haven't seems, been. No, no, I haven't. Oh, uh, wow, which I'm is so kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy because I have actually traveled more internationally than domestically in my life. Um, 
mostly because my mum works for Qantas, which is a very scary time, as you can imagine. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I've been, you know, all over the world. I've been to so many different places and interacted with so many different cultures or whatever. But every time I return, it's some, there's something so special about the the continent that we live on and each country that makes it up is so unique and beautiful and has a different connection and a different feeling and purpose so I mean I can't even imagine how special it is to stand in front of Uluru I think it it's probably for the best that I haven't been there and now can go when it's not being climbed on I think that'll be much more less distressing actually because I think it would have been pretty difficult to watch people do that mm. if I had been there when that has happened so yeah no I look forward to getting there eventually I think <laughs> especially because of the period that we're in I'll have to focus <laughs> on any kind of travel being within Australia so yeah. it's a good opportunity silver yeah. linings right a good a good excuse uh, and I think you will absolutely love it I mean it's it is remarkable and I think it's you know so good that people can no longer climb Uluru because to be honest I always never agreed with that even though I didn't understand the complexities of this like how spiritual Uluru is I thought to myself if someone started climbing on a church that I go to exactly that's just disrespectful and so I automatically go okay well if this is this rock is kind of like church to aboriginal people then how rude it is that people are climbing it yes people are adventurous and they want to say I've climbed Uluru great I, I, I just I couldn't understand why people would do it because I'm like well that's you wouldn't want someone climbing on your house like yeah. don't climb on yeah. someone else's so that's how I always thought even growing up so I just think it's awesome that it's legislation now and that it is illegal so and that it's a wonderful thing so yeah and you'll have to go you have to go yes. and see it yes. I think you and I look forward to hearing what you think <laughs> you're listening to power up life a her power podcast this week we asked you what part of indigenous history and culture you want to learn more about and here's what you had to say. I'm quite a spiritual person and, and feel pretty connected to the to the land and, and it's something that has always piqued my interest is the how the indigenous people have connected to the land and obviously there's such a rich history there and, and cultural significance in their connection to the land and I just certainly would love to learn a bit more about how that stemmed and the history behind all of that. Part of indigenous culture that I would love to learn more about is knowing the issues that Indigenous people face today, in particular the issues that young people face and how we can work alongside them to help them with those issues. I am extremely interested in the human body. There are some tribes of Indigenous people who up until 50 years ago had no idea of the concepts of any sort of vascular disease like diabetes or heart attacks and of course these are diseases that have plagued modern societies for for centuries and I think that's something I really really want to know more about. I would like to learn more about the stolen generation and it is so unfair to see the children torn away from their families they had no right. I'm Carissa Shale and that's this week's talk topic. Got something to share? Drop us an email yoursay at hapow.com. Learn epic life skills in a super chill way. Sign up for free at hapow.com. 
So I'd love to ask you as well, the the Southern Cross, you know, that is iconic. You know, you can see it in the sky. It's often used in movies and Australian literature, everywhere really, and it is on the Australian flag as well. Can you tell us uh, what does the Southern Cross mean and why is it so significant to Aboriginal people? Yeah, it's it's so crazy because... It is arguably the most important constellation if you look through our history in terms of navigation and dreaming. It is the foot of the the great emu in the sky, which you can't. There's an emu constellation that you can't really see in cities. I have seen it. Hashtag um, pollution. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Although now you probably again maybe yeah (laughs) with no cars Um, on the road. I've seen it clearly up in Nullumboy, so in East Arnhem Land, and Mm -hmm. it is absolutely spectacular because it kind of looks like this tear in the sky but it's it's the body of an emu it's very clear wow. and the, the foot of it is the southern cross and like I said every country has different stories and different dreaming but a common denominator in a lot of them is the use of the su- southern cross that has different names from different areas to navigate and to like map country and and things like that so it's very very culturally significant and has been important for a long time but it's sort of been tainted from ultra examples of nationalism and patriotism and it's sort of become a symbol for white racists in a lot of ways which is so crazy there's a great documentary by Warwick Thornton who's an Aboriginal filmmaker Mm -hmm. um, called We Don't Need a Map and it's all about the Southern Cross highly recommend it it's quite funny as well. But when did so, it come out? Uh, only a couple of years ago. It's oh, not, so it's a recent, fairly recent. It's pretty day. recent, yeah. So I, yeah, I'm from Sydney, but I actually live in Cronulla. So, oh, that's the um, beach area. Yes. <laughs> I that's think famous Cron- for race riots. <laughs> I, I know, that's what I was going to say. I'm like, I, don't, I know Cronulla to have a, a very good or not so good, I should say, um, yes. party. Naturally, naturally <laughs> beautiful, like a beautiful yeah. environment, most beautiful beaches in the world. I'm very, very biased. But it's famous for the race riots that we had in the early 2000s. And in that documentary by Warwick Thornton, um, he actually interviews a tattoo artist who is from the area and after the riots happened, he said his books were booked out for weeks in advance because so many men came to get Southern Cross tattoos after it to kind of be like, this is our country and this is for us and you're not welcome here to the people that they were against. And it's so funny because... I, you know, I grew up in Cronulla and I remember the riots so distinctly. Like I was very young, but I have, you know, obviously I have my Aboriginal family, but on my mum's side of the family, even though she's, her family's white, we were also like super multicultural. I have Lebanese cousins and Filipino cousins and the the United Nations. And she, (laughs) so one of my cousins is Lebanese and was at high school during the time that the riots happened. So she was getting text messages from both sides to like go down to this thing. And like, it was, I just remember it so distinctly. And from that point, because of the tensions that kind of were residual in Cronulla and like how kind of brown people didn't really feel welcome there ever from that point that I associated kind of racism with the Southern Cross and the flag, the Australian flag. I've never felt super comfortable with it because of what I saw in that time. And that has so much less to do with my Aboriginal culture and more to do with like what my cousin went through and what I saw happen to a big chunk of the community during that time. And it's so weird because it was sort of watching that Warwick Thornton doco that I went, oh my God, that's that symbol should be 
cultural. It should be something that I can go, that's a, an awesome thing and that's something that's been so important through my people's history, but it's been tainted by this. So it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And it's quite interesting because I don't think I've ever been asked about the Southern Cross before in an interview. I, really? Um, yeah, oh. never. But I think it's a really interesting discussion yeah. because we talk about what Australian identity is all the time and I think we can't really answer that question. But a big symbol in it is the Southern Cross oh, okay. and maybe it is about reclaiming it as something that ties in both parts of the story. Yeah. I don't know. You've, you've discovered something quite <laughs> powerful, I think. Oh, I, feel, I feel like this is an exclusive on the Power Up <laughs> show. No, it, it's, it's great to have this discussion. And uh, as you know, I'm not Aboriginal. I am actually, for those who don't know, I am Italian. My grandparents, all four of them, some of which have passed away now, but they, they immigrated to Australia from Italy. And I, I could tell you when they came to Australia, they, there was a lot of racism. Even with my husband's Brendan, who's in the business, uh, her power business as well, his great-grandfather father is Greek or was Greek. Um, he's now obviously passed away. And when he came to Australia from an island called Ithaca, uh, his last name was Lukatsis. And because there was such terrible racism in Australia, he felt he had to change his last name just so he could sound more Australian, better commas. So he yeah. changed it to Lucas, which is now why we're all the family are Lucas. But technically we should have a Greek long wow. Greek last name, but we don't. It's Lucas. And even for me, and that was, you know, going back in the early 19 or mid-1900s, for me, I remember growing up, I'll never forget this. So we have in Victoria the Mornington Peninsula, which would be like Cronulla kind of thing. You know, everyone goes there. A lot of people live there, but a lot of people travel from Melbourne to the Mornington Peninsula during the summer holidays. And I remember one year, probably in maybe the early 2000s, I remember walking down the street with my cousins because we'd go there every summer holidays. And I kid you not, I, I saw men or younger, I'd probably say in their early 20s, wrapped in Australian flags, to uh, topless, so they had their board shorts on, which were also Australian flags, with the Australian sort of flag cap or hat of some kind. And they had, I won't, it's very vulgar, but they had basically in, <laughs> imagine the more vulgar version of go away, wogs, you're not wanted. And they were chanting, you're not wanted, go away along the street that was full oh, of people you know of all from all walks of life yeah and I I will never ever forget that because that was the first time I realized am I or made me question am I different but I remembered in that moment yeah I, I thought am I different and that was a horrible feeling for me because mm. I'm going, no we are such a multicultural nation how dare you tell me that I'm not from here. And I thought to myself, well, technically, you're not from here either. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, all of us, um, except for Aboriginal people that have been here for 80,000 years, everybody has immigrated to Australia at some kind in their ancestors. And yeah. I, that really hurt me. And probably mm -hmm. if I look back, it's probably why I'm so passionate about having you on the show, because even though I'm not Aboriginal, I, I've experienced racism and it's a mm. horrible feeling to have. Mm. And I think, but I believe racism comes from not being educated in that area. Maybe they don't have a, a full understanding of both sides 
to a story. You know, they've probably only been heard one story all their lives. And so they bring forward and go, well, that must be right without hearing another side. And that breaks my heart too, because I think Mm. if we are able to connect with people, educate and empower people with knowledge, then we we can be more united and go, yeah, we're one the same. That's what I think anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I think it also comes from fear. Racism comes from fear of things you don't know, you don't understand. And to a certain extent, it comes from, I think in a white Australian context, the fear comes from this rhetoric that people who are different, who are immigrants or Aboriginal or just not white, they're trying to steal something from you when they are asking to be treated in the same way. So I think because of the way that Australia was, as we know it today, was set up, it was that positioned British white immigrants as the power holders and it means that anyone else who doesn't fit that and even you know to an extent bright um, a british white male (laughs) um, descendant if you're not that then you're trying to take the power away from them so it becomes this wall comes up and it's like just because i'm asking to be treated the same as you that's not taking anything from you it's actually giving something to all of us and trying to explain that and get people to hear you when you talk about that is really hard because a lot of the time it is that whole thing that you've been ingrained in you for a long time and you can't see anything different because it's all you've ever known. So that's when the fear comes in and we see it, fortunately, we've seen it really rear its ugly, ugly head with the coronavirus stuff against the Asian Australian community. Yes, it's happened again. Some of the stories, some of the stories I've heard, I, I honestly, like, I am very aware of how racist this country is, but I can't believe that people have the audacity to treat other human beings like that. Like mm-hmm. I just, it blows my mind. I saw a horrific video on the news last night of two young sisters who were Asian and just in the streets of Sydney and someone was spitting at them and screaming at them be- saying it's your fault that we're in this position. Like <gasps> I just, I just oh, was golly. like, I can't believe this is real. Like I can't mm. believe that. I can believe it, but I, I don't want to. I don't yeah. want to believe that that happens. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it, it comes from that thing that like looking for someone to blame when something goes wrong and yeah, fearing that these people are trying to take something from you. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It, it does come down to fear, you know, fear of the unknown. And I think generally speaking, anxiety in people, no matter how old you are, has is has increased so much because of COVID-19 and the ramifications of social distancing and being allocated certain times to, to go to work or go to the shops or work from home. And I think everybody is, is, <laughs> is more stressed. And that can sometimes bring the best out of people in the sense that, they unite, come together. How can I help you? How can I support you? And then in others, they go, ah, you know, they, they freak yeah. out and they just start attacking and accusing people of things because they can't cope. And there have been some wonderful stories that have come out of COVID, but it's just so sad to hear that there are stories, uh, like you said, on the news last night. And and it does happen. And I, I try to pretend it doesn't because I'm such a big believer in positivity and empowerment. But the reality is, is it does happen in our community. And what I'd love to ask you is, do you find that we have grown though as a society in terms of being more inclusive especially of aboriginal history and i think i've seen in my as i get older now in my 20s that there is a lot more inclusiveness and less segregation which i think is a beautiful thing what do you think yeah i think that the prime example that we have at least um, is around our discussions and particularly around january 26 i think it is the perfect 
kind of barometer of where we're at. And a big moment, I think, was move the Triple J's decision to move the Hottest 100 from the day and the response that that got from the younger generation, so my age group, was, okay, sweet, like, I don't care. I just want the Hottest 100. Like, that's <laughs> it. And that's as simple as it can be. Like, that's as simple as it can be. And I think that the generation coming up has far more education, has far more examples of what Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are and what they do. You just have to turn on the TV, Channel 9, every weekday morning, who's on there? Brooke Boney, right? And you look at, that's someone like her, who's amazing and who I love a lot. And she's an example for who we are and where we're at Yeah, every day. Turn on Studio 10, if you're into watching that. There's Narelle <laughs> Jacobs, right? Yeah. Narelle Jacobs, Aboriginal gay woman on mainstream television as well. Another yeah. amazing thing. Obviously, I'm very biased talking about women. <laughs> but <laughs> You're exempt from the rule. You are the yeah. founder of Titus to so it is okay. This is, my, this is my jam, right? <laughs> but where we find Aboriginal people, you know, where we hear our voices now has changed so dramatically and it has become far more mainstream and yes there are very big things we still need to overcome and there's a lot of education that's missing in in the gap between seeing Aboriginal people and understanding our situation and how we're going and where we need to go but it's a really promising start I think that it ultimately needs to start in education how you know we've been talking about understanding Aboriginal history and like the two periods you do in year eight are not enough and we still start we still start talking about Aboriginal history as if it started in 1788 and it's just absurd because this period between is so tiny on the spectrum of how long we've been around and what's happened and what we've achieved and that story ultimately what I want is for all Australians to feel connected to that story and that understand you walk on Aboriginal land every single day you are connected to the story of resilience that has built this land and you should be proud of the founding culture because it's amazing and it's beautiful and there's so many things that we can all learn from Aboriginal knowledge systems and ways of being that I think if we embraced it would make us a far more united and I don't know positive community that really did back each other you know. What a way to finish off this bonus podcast episode. What I love is Marley's outlook on life. Despite all the stuff that has taken place over the years, not to mention this year alone, Marley still envisions a bright future, an inclusive one for all, as do I. Marley is only 25. Can you just imagine where she'll be when she's 50? Hashtag world changer much. Marley has just published her first book, My Titter, My Sister. I bought myself a copy and it's really beautiful, filled with inspiring stories from Indigenous women of all ages. If you're keen to get your hands on one, you can do so by heading to booktopia.com.au or other good bookstores. A fan of Power Up Life? Why not tap the share button and send it to someone who'll love it? And don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be the first to know when new episodes drop. Want more Hapow? Sign up to our free Life Skills platform to get access to our on-demand expert-led video masterclasses called Life Lessons, quizzes, blogs and more. Simply head to hapow.com.
This episode of Power Up Life was produced by me, Gianna Lucas, Maria Dukadinoska, and Carissa Shale for the Hapao Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Power Up Life, a Hapao podcast. If you loved this episode, be a legend and leave us a quick rating and review on your fave podcast app. Dive into the show notes for all episodes on our website, hapow.com forward slash podcast. Catch you next time and remember to power up life.